When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Today, we have Rochelle Stewart. She's a director at Silicon Valley Bank. She is also an angel investor, but she's a very particular angel investor. And what she is and how I know her is she's so great at building community around angel investing and really getting women excited and organizing around it, which is no easy feat. So, and it's her very first podcast. So thank you for being on. Hi. I couldn't think of a better way to, uh, to dip my toes into uh, podcasting and hopefully this won't be the last, you probably don't do more than one guest per per show, (laughs) but uh, thank you for having me. And I'm super excited. (laughs) Um, Well, I did. I've had yesterday, I had two women from work at health and two co-founders at the same time. So sometimes I talk about like co-founding and they have co-CEOs or co-founders, like how you do that too. We just try to be relevant to building businesses for women, getting money in women's hands and building their wealth. So all of that, but we are very honored to have you as our, as your very first podcast. So thank you for coming. Um, Let's get started a little bit. Tell us about what you do right now at Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley Bank, because I think that's really, um, you know, it's not like the two things are are not related in what you're doing in angel investing. Yeah, very much related. And I feel very fortunate because I don't think anyone, you know, we all kind of pursue and hope to find the dream job that aligns our passions professionally and personally. And I think at Silicon Valley Bank, I've been able to do so. Uh, it would look as though I orchestrated it that way and I'd end up this way. But I can tell you my career has been a jungle gym and it certainly didn't happen um, on purpose, but it did happen with intention. And part of that intention was that when I had my first child, my son, Shelly, he'll be two. um, And I was leaving my previous job. I said, you know what? I've been doing this like startup thing, angel investing thing, very close to the startup ecosystem, kind of on the side in addition to my day job. And a non-negotiable for me will be that it has to be a part of my day job. And I didn't know what that meant, but I just knew that it was a non-negotiable. Like I have to work with startups in my day job. I'm going to be a mom. I don't have time to create all of these different spheres that I have 
have to manage. And um, through some, you know, research and exploration, landed at Silicon Valley Bank, where, you know, that is what I get to do. I get to work with founders every day. I get to work with investors. I get to be at the center of what we call like center of the innovation economy. It's like the first time I'd even heard that phrase, Um, the innovation economy for, um, you know, from pre-seed day one, I just started my business to IPO and exit. So I'm I'm at a place where we really do follow founders on their journey from startup to hopefully exiting and scaling their company and helping them along every step of the way. And in my role in particular, I'm actually now, I've been there over a year, but I'm now on a new team that is really, you know, again, finding the dream job um, where I get to explore new opportunities and new partnerships and new ways to show up in the innovation economy um, and explore my, or tap into my passion that you've already highlighted, which is, you know, I really care about women get investing. I care about, you know, closing the gap in female funding, closing the gap for all underrepresented founders, Black and Latinx. And now I'm in a space where I actually do have the platform of SVB behind me to help me do that. So I'm no longer just this one woman show running in these communities for women, which I'll always be passionate about and always continue to do. But now I have the um, the SVB platform behind me to really hopefully move the needle um, in a bigger way, which I'm super excited about. Amazing. And so what was your background before this in the in, so, you know, start with a bank? Yeah. Yeah, I did. You know, I started my career. Well, I guess I'll give you the personal piece of it. I was a first generation college student, so I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't didn't know that I would end up on Wall Street. Mentorship has been, and we talked about this, an important part of sort of the career moves that I've been able to make. And that very first one to go to Wall Street was influenced by a mentor of mine, um, Damian Dwin, who I met when I was a sophomore at Georgetown. And um, I say all this because I think there are so many parallels between, you know, my background my childhood, how I grew up and having mentorship be such a huge piece of what contributed to my success and how and what makes me so passionate about supporting founders and building community is because I have this like natural affinity for being in service of others. And I know that I wouldn't be where I was, where I am, if I didn't have that sort of give, you know, those giving to me and contributing to my success and being vested in in my success. And um, so when I started my career, to answer your question, I was on Wall Street and I was in sales and trading during the whole mortgage crisis. And then I went to business school. And then after business school, I left kind of finance and uh, went kind of wore operator hat. I decided like, let's roll up my sleeves and do away with modeling and putting marketing on a spreadsheet and actually see what marketing is really about. (laughs) So I did an internship at L'Oreal. I worked in consumer. And honestly, I just pursued my passions. I mean, the intention for me was, you know, forget the naysayers, (laughs) Uh, those who say like, why would you leave finance? You know, you're going to make this amount of money. And I'm like, I know I actually took an internship in real estate making like eight bucks an hour because I thought I wanted to pursue. And this was before business school. So not not necessarily the most economically prudent decision, but one that was really important because I got I was able to build all of these experiences in real estate, uh, learning about a new asset class in uh, at L'Oreal and beauty, understanding what brand management was and how it differed from other parts of marketing, which I now know to be performance and growth marketing, but at the time I had no idea. Um, and then pursuing my long-term stint at Condé Nast, where I was in media. And there I was in a core strategy role where I had a boot camp um, in all things running a media business and sort of operating cross-functionally from editorial and creative 
to, you know, like being in the room with editors and the editors and chiefs to being in the room with the head of sales and talking about monetization. So honestly, I feel that I've been very fortunate to have such a cross section of functions, industries, and I try to bring that to the job I have today, but also um, into the work that I do with startups, given that I have this kind of varied path, if you will. <laughs> right. So you are, would you say your first generation? Um, College graduate. Yep. Yeah, me too. So I am too. Now I, the, the difference is I didn't actually have a mentor whatsoever. I literally was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduated from college. I was like, I looked on TV, doctor, lawyer, banker. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, I guess I'll be a lawyer. So I went to law school. Um, mm-hmm. That's literally how I decided, you know, but, you know, I think there's one thing uh, on a theme that if you, you know, and why I like to do this podcast, this is if you can see it, you can be it, you know. Oh, yeah. So for all those first generation and college students, you know, I did it differently. Like here's you know two examples of women who like I did it differently. I was like, I need a job that pays me a lot of money because yeah. I, I I said that too. I started on Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then you went to $8 an hour. Like, yeah, yeah, and then no, I no. guess I did go back because I went in and then I decided I wanted to follow a passion. And, you know, when I went in a Wall Street firm and made a lot of money and then I then I went back and I was like, I want to do the music industry, you know, and then I had to take a really big pay cut, which then, you know, caught back up. But, you know, it was about passion. And I think a lot of women find that it's like you want you want to have passion and purpose in your in your jobs as well, you know, yes. and it just makes it so much easier. So it's not like you're living a double life, you know, it can't 100%. just be about money, but, you know, yes. it has to be in some some capacity. But if you utilize that as like a stepping stone to something else, it can really turn into something great. Yeah, so. no, you're right. And it's a, it's a uh, privilege, I would say, right? Like I um, am living in New York. I'm married to someone who contributes to the household income where I don't have to think about the income quite as much as like, and I can make a decision personally. So I actually do feel privileged that I can say, hey, I'll take this job or I'll do this. And I don't have to anchor on money because I think sometimes we don't have that choice. So I don't take right. that for granted. At, yeah, at and all. also moving around, you know, I find like oh, yeah. women get so loyal. They're like, oh, I'm so loyal to this place. And they said, they'll take care of me. It's like, oh, yeah, no, no, be that loyal is to yourself. Be loyal I never to your family. <laughs> get, get what you need. And like, yeah. move if it's not, yeah, you know what I mean? Selfish. Keep it moving. Yeah. Yeah. Be a little selfish. It's so true. And I should clarify. I don't think it was $8 an hour. I think it was maybe 12. And then it was an internship. It so I was sucks, in- so, you know. I so I was interning. It was a pre-MBA internship at CBRE. And I was working for, again, I was working for the top real estate salesperson, Darcy Stakem. And I was like, I want to get this experience. So I'm going to do an internship with college students. Oh, I love it. <laughs> So talk about a step back, but it was so worthwhile. I learned so much. <laughs> and so when was your first angel investment? My first angel investment was in 20, what is it? 2021. So 2019. So only two years ago. Yeah. Or was it? What made you do it? Like so many, what made you go into it? Like so many people are like, oh, I'm scared. I don't know what, yeah. you know. Well, I always... When I was at Condé, I, w- I was really big on like, how can I get closer to the startup ecosystem given the, the role I have here today? And so the years and times all blur, but I would say it was about three years ago. So that was 2018 when I made the investment. And effectively, I just said like, 
all right, I'm going to do these events. I'll invite startups to Condé, have them just kind of like removing barriers for others that might think like, you know, how do I get in touch with an editor? Or there's this like um, aura around Condé and the brand. So we would do events with Vogue and have like fashion brands come in, startup fashion brands. And I just love doing that. And um, more and more what I started is I started to read. I remember the, the critical inflection point. It was when Vanity Fair, a Condé Nast brand, posted, um, sorry, published the article about the black women who had raised over a million and they did this whole spread and it was like 20, 20 or 21 women. And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a mathematician to realize that that's a pretty staggeringly low number. Yeah. And I, honestly, I was even surprised. I was like 20 have raised over a million that it just didn't sit right with me. And yeah. the more research I did, the project I am report came out that summer. This was all pre like this big awakening that's happened now where now everyone's talking about the diversity stats and the lack of funding for black founders, female founders, et cetera. At that time, it wasn't really in the press quite as much. And as I did the research, I was like, oh, wow, this is a big deal. So female founders aren't getting funded. Black women are getting like 0.002% of the fund. I mean, this is sad. What can I do? And I was inspired to think about how to translate my passion for startups into impact. And for me, that meant community building. How do I think about building a community for women to invest, to invest in women? And I just had this idea, but I thought like, well, I should probably start investing myself before I start building these communities. And for me, it was easy to start writing. I had no hesitation whatsoever. As soon as I made the decision to, um, to sort of set out on that path to start investing, I kind of built like a one pager of like what types of companies I want to invest invest in. I started with mission driven first, which is why my first check was in I fund women, um, given my personal belief in funding women. So it, I mean, I did diligence by way of talking to the founder and like, you know, getting to know the business, but it wasn't the type of diligence that I do now, right? That first check was really gut based. And that first check was really just getting over the hump to say, yeah. I can do this. I just need to, you know, I need to be my own proof of concept so that when I'm building these communities, they trust me and they know, oh, well, Rochelle did this past. And Rochelle took these courses or Rochelle, I joined a bunch of communities to really get closer to other angels. And I realized that there was a lot of gaps and a lot of that gap was there still weren't enough women investing. And there still, there wasn't a lot of, honestly, a lot of robust communities around investing. It could be a really lonely sport and I wanted to make it a community sport. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's funny, like, while I think that it is much more in the press about, you know, women only getting 2% and actually went down during COVID, it was up to like yeah. 2.5 you know, yeah, it's just like um, <laughs> you know, women of color getting 0.5% of that. I'm still astounded at how many men don't know that, you know? Yeah. So I think we talk about it amongst women, but right. like men don't know that. It does not roll off their tongues. They're like, really? And I'm like, that means we have to take 200 meetings basically to your one. Like, yep. that, like that's ridiculous. It's just, you know, um, and we control the purchasing power and we, you know, it, so we can, we can hit them with our wallet. Like, yep. we, you know, stop buying stuff that doesn't ladder into women or building women's wealth or that's started by men for women, you know, um, all those things, which, which really matter, you know? So let's talk a little bit more about um, what you mean by building the community. What exactly did you do to do that for angel investors? 
So I started off just pressure testing the idea of it with friends and people I knew, people I knew who were operators themselves, like senior executives. And I knew they probably were accredited investors, but the chances that they even knew what that was, was low, right? Like they're certainly meeting the income requirement, but do they know they can invest? Are they thinking right. do about Do you want to talk about that? Just in case people don't know what an accredited investor is. Yeah. So there's a lot of legalities when it comes to investing. And um, I would urge anyone to just kind of look at uh, the best, what is the best resource that has kind of all of it? I'll think about it and come back to you on like- well, one You can the- literally so, Google accredited investors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I, mean, then, I feel on- like I have a list of good ones where it's like, oh, here's all the stuff on angel investing, maybe like the ACA, Angel Capital Association or something. But in any event, it's an income requirement. And I believe it's 200K um, individual income and then 300K joint. And that's the minimum that you have. That's one of many qualifications that will allow you to invest in certain private assets. And those and angel um, uh, startups and early stage businesses fall into that category Mm -hmm. of private assets and private as opposed to public like the stock market, right? Because it's a private asset or um, obviously there's a bunch of different governance rules around it. One of those governance rules is to set up guardrails to say, well, we want to make sure that you have the income to support this. And also that, you know, we're not just opening it up so that anyone can invest and kind of be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, they use income as one of those guardrails that is changing. And there's a lot of opportunities for non-accredited investors to invest, whether it's crowdfunding via Republic, equity crowdfunding, or whether it's um, taking an exam, Series 7. And there's I think you have to take the seven and something else in order to sort of get that accreditation without the income requirement. So basically, moral of the story is the world is evolving. So even if you aren't an accredited investor, you could become one today. A year ago, that was a lot more difficult. And Mm -hmm. also, if you're not sure, you know, just look it up, see what's possible and, you know, make the leap. Because I do think it's a rule where it's like, it's just one of those, like, it's been around and it is what it is. And it's not really protective as so much as it is exclusive, right? Yeah. It's keeping people That's out true. from investing. Yeah. Because when you invest, you can be like saying goodbye to that money. You know what I mean? Yeah. You say goodbye and hopefully some comes back. It's no different than you just think of it as, is like um, giving it the way to a charity. You don't know what's happening with that money. Oh, 100%. You know? 100%. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question around the community, I, I went first to my friends and I said, I'm thinking about starting an angel investing community for women. Would you be interested? And if so, what would that need to look like? And I did a lot of, I treated it like a startup, right? Like I I've never officially started a business, but this was probably be as close as I've come to doing so where I did the customer research. I really did a lot of like, who is my customer, i.e. the women investors I want to target? And then what is the type of community I want to build for them? And then just getting that feedback from them. And what I learned as a part of that was that I mean, there was no, everyone was beyond excited. Like, please sign me up tomorrow. I would love to do this. I'd love to invest. I don't know where to start. I don't know which communities exist. I mean, there was just a huge gap of knowledge and information. And yeah, you could go to Google and look these things up. But as I explored, there's, it doesn't really give you the true, like, okay, so what am I getting out of this? If I go into Pipeline Angels and I take a boot camp, so what happens after? Do I write one check? Do I like, 
what do I do? And how, and I, and, and there wasn't really a community piece to it, mm-hmm. right? Like I joined 37 angels. I went through the class. The class is amazing, but the community piece of it is missing. So I was trying to create something that I didn't think existed. And I decided to do it first with black women, because I saw number one, the funding gap was widest for black founders. Mm-hmm. And even though we were going to invest broadly and not just in black women, it made sense to have a group that was all black women because that didn't exist out there. Mm -hmm. And having this sort of messaging that like we're coming together because we want to solve this and build wealth for our community and learn together, grow together, hopefully make money together, then that will feed itself into this cycle back to our community because we all care about giving back, whether it's to the founders or just generally like thinking, oh, wow, look what I was able to do as an angel. And now I want to help someone else. Um, So that was intentional to have this syndicate, which is the name of my black female angel investing community um, to be focused in hyper focus in that way. And then I started um, the We Sweet sub community, which is much more broad, but again, all women. And it was perfect because it's a mix of um, angel investors who have experienced you know, those who uh, are founders and maybe like want to invest, but just haven't done it yet. And so now I've moved away from just focused on, you know, black females and closing that wealth gap to really helping all women who want to invest and across the spectrum of alternative assets. So not just thinking about direct startups, but also investing in your first fund as an LP, right? Like, what does that mean to diversify your portfolio? Thinking about, you know, we've had a lot of asks for like, oh, can we do something for financial planning and thinking about just building your wealth, your, your portfolio overall. So between those two communities, I I feel to lead them. And then I'm a part of other communities. I feel that I get so much from them and so much joy, just knowing that I'm able to bring these women together and that hopefully we'll have a great story to tell about all the amazing investing we've done (laughs) um, as a result of having a place to do it. Right. And how much have you all raised in your thing? Do you have an estimate or no. I'm oh like, yeah, of course. I'm, I mean, can't like, leave the yes. funniest girl behind. <laughs> I track everything. Amazing. Um, yeah. So my syndicate, the target was to get to half a million amongst the members and I got to 450. So that's basically 400. It's like a fund. You could think yeah. of it as a fund, 450K, which is like small and inconsequential, but that's quite a bit of checks to write. No, it's um, not inconsequential because it's so hard for women <laughs> to make money. Yeah. Raise yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. And then with the We Sweet sub community of angels, we've committed and invested 750K between the community of women and founders. And of those founders, um, our portfolio, I think, is 11 investments and 10 of them are women. Mm-hmm. So whereas in my syndicate, it's a bit bit of a mix. I think it's like 60% women and then the other founders are male. But um, yeah. So all together, I mean, I guess I never thought about them as a collective, but about a million, a million plus in investments and capital connected, I guess I would call it. Right. Less and all people. like seed angel. Yeah. 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 All, yeah. Pre-seed and seed. Correct. Right. Right. Some series A, some series A snuck in there a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually yeah, yeah. Like trade. Um, and I think that that's an area where I want to lean in more because I think there's so many great opportunities to do pre-IPO trades and sort of get in where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to, the multiple might be lower, but the risk is mitigated. And I feel really good about where this company is going. So mm-hmm. why not invest? And maybe you have to invest like a little more capital to get like a, a commensurate return, but I like late stage too. Yeah. Well, I find also if we're just focusing on female founded, like only four um, female founded companies 
went public last year. Four. No. Yeah, it was four. Wow. This year is probably going to be the same. You know, I mean, look, that's not to say that like it's great. Like Sarah Blakely sold her company. Then it's not like she went public, but like four. Runway, Sarah Blakely. You know how many pop- companies go public daily? <laughs> like it's, you know, it's we so. We should actually that data, pull at SVB. I'm glad you mentioned that because even in healthcare, right? That's one where um, there's so much happening. I think we did like 70% of the, the IPOs in the, the tech healthcare space. Yeah. Because we and, finally started like going, wait a minute, why are other people making decisions about us? We have to, we have to see it in politics. It's like, these are our bodies. Like, let us make these decisions and we make the decisions for our families health yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a big thing. Um, I well, I mean, you know, it's funny that you, you like to talk about mentorship and stuff, but really what you're and you being mentor, but what you're really doing is mentoring a bunch of women, right? You're, you yeah. know, you're being a support group and helping like provide that space for, for women to talk about this stuff, you know? Um, did you realize that that's what you were doing as well as being a mentor? Honestly, not really. <laughs> sounds weird to say it, but I think I go back to like, when I think about the community piece, I do think about like that it's building, it's kind of like I'm lifting everyone together, bringing everyone together, making the connections. That is what I, like my perspective is that that's what I'm fueling. I didn't think about it as mentoring investor. Like if you asked me to articulate it, I would have never chosen that word myself, but I guess it is some form of mentorship. And in more cases than not, when I am in a room and most of the women have never written a check or they're saying, I'm doing this for the first time. That is the reason it makes me so happy because I feel like so proud. I'm like, yes, another, you know, another woman investing and get, you know, getting over the hump, which I do think that first check piece of it is, is a big deal, right? Like just getting used to the idea that, wow, I just wrote a check for $5,000 to invest in a company, right? Like, because the hesitation and the reservation of it all is, you know, it, I mean, it, it is kind of unique to women. Like men don't think that way. They're like, okay, here, here's a check. Let's go. Let's, you know, let's, let's move on, go from the gut, shoot from the hip, whatever it may be. And I would say, I guess, Coaching is probably the word I would use because even I, when I talk to my friends and they'll be like, you're just so great at this. Like you should be a leadership coach or coach. And I like the idea of being able to say, I've done these things. How can I use those things to help you in some way? And right. so that is a piece of it, like the coaching slash mentorship and just knowing that we as women kind of get in our own way. And especially when it comes to investing, that is certainly an area where the numbers show up that we, we get in our own way. We don't feel that we're qualified, that we can make the the decision, we overthink the decision. Like, so as much as I can help women to kind of um, overcome some of those challenges, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just feel there's, there's just endless opportunity for us. And I fundamentally believe that having more women leaders in investment roles, even if it's just an angel investor, you will see this, you know, this is a long game, right? Like this is five right. to 10. Well, we'll no. start to see fruits of it all. <laughs> I mean, no, look, there's a lot of issues. There's also access, right? It's like being able to get the access to put the money in. Um, it is our insecurity around money. We've always yep. been told like, hey, money's icky that, you know, why would you want money? But it's okay for a man to be like, I want it all, you know what I yeah, mean? Totally. It's like, go totally. buy your handbags, cuties. It's like, no, we, we want like money for our kids too. Um, you know, and look, you know, there are many women I know that have no problem, like, you know, dumping five grand on a handbag. Um, but for some reason, putting it in a female founded company seems really like daunting and scary. You know, you got to kind of like look at it as apples to apples. It's like, 
you know, do you want a possibility of getting this money back or not? Like, you, you know, and you could do all of it. No one's judging you for that, but, you know, and the more that we support each other and really it's about supporting each other because we all, you know, we've heard of the PayPal mafia where they all gave each other oh, yeah. you know, the money and then they invest <laughs> in each other's stuff and give each other stuff. And then they just create more and more and more and more wealth for each other. Like you can look at, there's a whole diagram. You can look it up. Like that's what we need to be doing. We need to rally yeah. around the women. We need to buy the products. We need to hire, you know, the accountants and the lawyers and the financial planners yep. and all of those people who ladder up to themselves, not to men and the patriarchy. And then, you know, and use that money that we make. Yeah. Should we all go on a vacation together? Yes, we should because we deserve right. it. But then reinvest it back into the female matriarchy, you know, archival economy, you know, and that's how we're really going to make a difference. So having these kinds of, you know, circles where you can invest like 2,500 and 5,000 and not feel like you can get in, you know, like early, you can kind of like get your feet wet, but then you see what you're providing for these female founders, you know, it's like, it's so helpful to get them to the next level because what ends up happening is the series A comes on, they need more money. Maybe they bootstrapped and I'm like, well, you didn't raise any money. I don't know. No one believed in you. And right. Yeah. You know, right. Cause we get yeah, a thousand so right. more stupid questions than any white dude with a hoodie ever got when walking in. You're so right. And I don't think that story is told enough around like we talk about the funding gap and it's almost like, great. So women get 2%, but why? Oh, it's because the the VC industry is male dominated, but it's like, well, that's not going to change anytime soon. Like we're no. not all of a sudden going to have this new face of change. VC where 50% of women are yeah. women. Um, you are having emerging managers who are crop, but there's going to take time for them to get build a track record. And like, so it's going to be a slow movement towards true diversity as it within VC. But that is just such a small sliver of what it means to fund women. Like yeah. that's like the path to like, okay, what about the first check, the angel check, the pre-seed check, the friends and family where they don't have the access, like you said, getting 200 or 250K to start your idea is game changing. And mm-hmm. you don't need a VC for that. Yeah. <laughs> like you want to be able to build that story and have every, you know, have the, when someone tests you, I'm like, well, why didn't, why didn't you get the funding from VC? Well, because I had, you know, 10 strategic angels who helped me to generate X amount in sales. And this is where I am. And the, the business speaks for itself. So I really believe in the power of the early stage investing, you know, even if it's not angels writing direct checks to support, you know, pre-seed female-led funds like the fund just launched their two and a half million micro fund investing in female founders. It's led by um, Jenny Fielding and a team of four GPs, all women. And they are, you know, they're all full-time operators who are doing this as a way that you kind of like as a, a subset of their daily work. Um, and we're seeing more of that, these operator investors who are really trying to change the game. And I love that they're doing it pre-seed because, you know, Jenny said it herself. She's like, I've never come across a female founder pre-seed who was oversubscribed. Yeah, never. never. <laughs> By the way, oversubscribed means that people are getting so much money that they would say, stop giving me money. Like, never. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, when she said it, it's like, again, even we can be surprised by the statistics and the, the reality that we're facing, um, which is, you know, we were behind and there, we are the ones that are going to have to make the change, right? Yeah. We can't wait for the dudes to, to care more or step it up. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's true. We have to take care of our ourselves. And like, look, we've never had a capitalist society where under the underrepresented people who are not taken care of in the constitution or contemplated actually had equal wealth. So what would that look like? 
we will take care of each other way more. And the only way to prove me wrong is when we're, when we have equal wealth. So right. prove me wrong. Um, I know we are running out of time right now. So thank you so much for all of this. Um, but there's one question that I ask everyone at the end, and that mm-hmm. is what is the worst advice you've ever received? Oh, that that's well, it is related to being told don't take that job. So along the way, I mentioned I've had many career pivots and I've had folks who said, you know, I wouldn't worse sound so negative. It's like the advice I didn't listen to that I'm happy I didn't listen to. It was coming from a good place. But to say you shouldn't make that career decision or like, why would you pivot there? You know, why would you you know give up this private equity opportunity for working at L'Oreal? Why would you give up this opportunity to go to Goldman, to Sachs, to go work at J.P. Morgan in private? I mean, that to me has been a common theme where I've made decisions based on advice that I came from reputable folks that I just didn't listen to yeah. and so love them no less, but it wasn't the right decision for me. Right. Right. So certain situations where you don't listen to mentors, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like, you just shake your head. You know what? That sounds great, but no, it's not for me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, this has been amazing. It's so this great awesome. for everybody great. here to like understand how you can support female founders and, you know, get in and have opportunities to get in. Um, so people- I'm happy to share insights, happy to talk to anyone who's trying to get into investing or very curious about where to start. Um, it can be a bit daunting, but once you're in it, it's really fun and exciting. Right, Jennifer? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it is. Um, so, well, how can people get in touch with you? Where do they um, find you? I- yeah, find me on LinkedIn, add me on LinkedIn, and then I will give, I can share with your readers. I, actually, you know what? The best place is probably the website, the syndicate, because that's easy. The syndicateangels.com. Amazing. Yep. So anyone wants to get involved to help women be, you know, figure out how to be like Rochelle, um, <laughs> you can find her there. Thank you Wonderful. so much for tuning in to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. <laughs>